Amen. All right. Good morning, Family Life Church Carlton. Hello. Uh, you know you're in trouble when the speaker brings a laptop to, to uh, do his notes. Oh, thanks, Becky. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Um, my name is Andrew Lavier, for those of you who do not know me. Uh, my wife, Lisa, is here in the crowd somewhere with, back there, and uh, we attend Family Life Church in Newburgh. Um, we, I serve on the board there, and we do the first impressions ministry, so when people come through the door, we make sure they see a smiling face and a, and a handshake or a hug and things like that. And um, it, I was also had the privilege of serving on the, the Family Life Church board when the Oregon uh, Assembly of God Network came to us about launching a camp, uh, Assembly of God campus here in Carleton. And um, the wild thing about that is that uh, Lisa and I, when we were first married, we were uh, youth pastors here in Carleton at the Assembly of God, the old building that was right across the, the street from here, right across from the school, we stayed in that, uh, we lived in that rickety old annex with the re- leaking roof and everything else going on with it, and uh, that's where we started our, our life together, our marriage together, and our ministry, and so that was t- 20, 20 years ago, <laughs> actually pretty much to the date, um, my, uh, yeah, that's right, it was 2003. Um, and I was being launched. We were at the uh, Assembly of God Church in Sherwood, and on the day that they were launching me to come out here to be the youth pastor, I actually proposed to Lisa in front of the church, and oh, I know, isn't that cute? (laughs) So adorable. Anyway, so it's so exciting to be here and to just see what God is doing. Um, You are not here by an accident. In fact, you here in this room right now, are the fulfillment of a promise. You are the living fulfillment of a promise that God made to build a church in Carleton, to have his word proclaimed, to have his love spread throughout this community, and to be a place to worship and to learn and grow and come together in community. So uh, that's pretty cool. You can pat yourself on the back, I think. You (laughs) You are the fulfillment of promise. And uh, I guess the one only announcement I want to kind of uh, briefly mention is uh, Pastor Bill Wilson is coming to uh, speak on November 5th. And uh, he was for a long, the long time uh, kind of the lead pastor over the Oregon Assembly of God Network. And um, so he's going to come and speak and, and kind of help uh, celebrate and commemorate the two-year anniversary of the opening of this, of this church, which is, yeah, yeah. All right, Joelle, that's right. I'm a notorious clap starter, so I love my, my, uh, my fellow clap starters. So, um, Pastor Bill Wilson is awesome. I would love to be here, but unfortunately, I'm going to be chasing elk with, with uh, Dale Ferris out in uh, eastern Oregon, so I'll have to catch it on the podcast. But, uh, and of course, Pastor Bill Wilson is an incredible uh, preacher and teacher, but I think one of the most powerful parts of his ministry is just his ability to personally connect with anyone and everyone. I remember when Lisa and I were first starting out in youth ministry, and we were just little babies, practically, uh, and literally, um, and, and talking with him. And, you know, we had this little youth ministry out in Carleton, Oregon, with about a dozen students, and he just 
hung on every word. We would share what we were going through and everything, and he just had a way of looking at you, and you just knew he cared and loved you, the, the, the people that you were serving and things like that. So uh, be sure to make sure to shake his hand and, and, uh, and meet him when he's here. So anyway, so I want to also start off a little bit by apologizing to Pastor Clint. Um, so God, at least I, I'm pretty sure it was God, called a pretty last minute audible on the message that he wanted me to share with you this morning. And, um, you know, it's always better to ask for forgiveness than uh, for permission. Um, just kidding. I did, I did text Clint this, this morning, literally this morning. I said, hey, I hope this is okay. This is what I wanted to preach about. But, you know, it's one of those unspoken kind of perks of being a Christian. Um, you know, it's like someone can come up to you and be like, um, hey, I, I thought I kind of asked you to, to do that thing. And you can be like, I was I prayed, and the Lord spoke, and He was like, "No, that's not what you're gonna do." Uh, so I don't know if you want to take it up with God. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, but thus saith the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Try not to do that too much. But uh, uh, no, I really do believe God was speaking. And what's so cool is when when you're like, "All right, God, is this what you wanted to do?" And then you see Him weaving these other threads throughout the day, throughout your life, and to confirm that you heard from the Lord. And so there's just been so many things already this morning that I'm like, all right, God, thank you for, uh, for, for interrupting me. Because uh, it wasn't my plan, trust me, it wasn't my plan to, to bin a week's worth of notes and study. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so let's jump into this. So I want to speak out of Second Chronicles chapter 20. So if you want to open up your Bibles and head to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I am going to do my level best to get through this. Um, this is going to be a miracle. Um, <laughs> if I could make it through this, all, all of these notes here, I do really feel like I believe God's kind of pointed me at a, a specific area that he wants to focus on this morning and to share with you. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead and throw a bookmark or a, a receipt crumpled up in your pocket into in that in chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, or maybe your wife's used Kleenex, whatever works. And we're going to kind of launch out from there. So um, this this chapter has become one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. There's a lot. There's I got it for several, but this is one of my favorites, and this is pretty recent. Um, I was uh, Lisa and I were reading a book called. Uh, Simple Money, Rich Life, and it is a book uh, written by Christians who are, you know, financial kind of planners and, and advisors and things like that, and it's just a really incredible book about um, biblical approach to finances and to giving. Giving is a really big component of, of this book, and I'm not here to preach about finances, but there, the very opening chapter is called, um, the first chapter is the battle is his, but you have to show up. And so this morning, I am directly ripping off that author. And this morning, my title, the title of my message is, you guessed it, the battle is his, you have to show up. And in the, in the book, it's just a short little blurb. He just mentions, we're going to be learning about King Jehoshaphat and about this three-nation army that comes against the kingdom of Judah and how King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah respond to this threat and respond to this incredible crisis 
at this time and how God brings the victory. And he doesn't really expound a whole lot in the book, but in the book he just says, read the chapter. It's amazing. It'll blow your mind. And so being the obedient little reader that I was, I cracked open 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and it is stunning what an incredible instruction manual this chapter is to dealing with struggles and challenges and battles in our life. Um, the Bible is full of such stories, right? You, you can, you know, close your eyes, throw a dart, and hit a, a random page in the Bible and probably find a story about God intervening in people's lives, performing an incredible miracle, you know, last second at the buzzer, three-pointer, game-winning shot, and, you know, you get the victory in your life. And, and a lot of times it happens in all kinds of different ways. These problems can come in all shapes and sizes. The victory can come in all shapes and sizes. But in few places do you see such a line-by-line blueprint for how we, as God's people, can respond to uh, challenges in our life. So um, we're going to set the stage a little bit. And um, so King Jehoshaphat, he, this is a time in the people of Israel's history where there are actually two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the south kingdom of Judah. And uh, King Jehoshaphat is actually a very godly king. His father, his father had started some reforms in Judah, uh, you know, kind of bringing, sorry, I'm kicking this chair up here. I'm a hand, I'm, it's okay if I stand, right? I'm kind of a hand talker. I was worried if I sat here, I'd, you know, throw this table over. Um, his father was also a godly king, and he had um, kind of called the people of Judah to rise up and to tear down these pagan temples and, and the, the pagan worship that had taken place among, the, among God's people and restore worship, the worship of the one true God in, in Judah. And so Jehoshaphat had carried on this, this work. He had made some mistakes, um, but overall he was a godly king. And so um, we're going to start in right away here at verse 1. It says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. From here on out, I'm just going to refer to them as the three nations, okay? Just because I'm lazy and I do not want to say those words a hundred times. All right, the three nations, all right, are arrayed against Judah. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazanon Tamar. This was another name for En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. And I'm going to kind of interrupt that verse right there. All right, I'm going to pause for a moment. And Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Um, I want to let you know this morning, I just want to pause on this for a second. It is okay to be afraid. It's okay. It is a perfectly natural response to devastating news, to things that are upending your life. It's a totally natural thing. And a lot of times, I know you've probably, if you've been in church for any amount of time, I know you've heard that, oh yes, you know, the great men and women of the Bible, they, they experienced fear, they experienced worry and doubt and things like that. But it's a whole other thing when you're in the midst of a situation and you're facing some kind of devastating thing that's going on in your life and you feel that fear and you feel that anxiety. And I don't know about you, but my first feeling is like, oh man, why is my first reaction to be afraid? I kind of get down on myself. 
I, I don't know if, that, if I'm the only one that, that feels that way sometimes, but you don't need to feel down on yourself. You don't, like, oh man, why is my faith so weak? Why, why am I so fearful? Why, why, why am I not tuned in to God so tightly that when these things come along, we have this, we kind of have, have this myth in our mind that the people in the Bible or great, great men and women of God that we know in our lives that like, you know, bad news comes along and they're just like, oh, well, praise God. God, you know, be the glory to God. You know, we're going to just take care of this thing. God's going to take care of it. We're going to be good to go. No worries. I guarantee you in the heart, in their heart of hearts, anyone who faces difficult times in their life, they experience that fear. They experience maybe dread, maybe anger, maybe fear, maybe there's all kinds of emotions that we can feel. That does not mean your faith is weak. It does not mean your faith is small. It means you're a human. You know, if, if we were impervious to these things, would we even really need God? And the truth is, we need him. Here's another truth, a truth that's not very fun, is that in this life, there will be trouble. A man by the name of Jesus said those words. In this life, there will be trouble. Son of God, our Savior, he said those words. There's going to be trouble. Unfortunately, it's just a feature of our planet. It's a feature of our universe that there's going to be trouble. And not only is our world broken, and not only do things sometimes fall apart, but we also have an enemy who's actively trying to make those situations even worse. So, the mere fact that there is something terrible going on in your life also does not mean you're of weak faith or that you've committed some great sin or you deserve this for some reason or another. The truth is, is that in, our, in this life, we will fail, uh, face trial and tribulations, all right? I wish I could say there was some magic wand that will make it all better, you know, as, as I mentioned, I kind of came upon this chapter reading a book about finances. As you can imagine, Lisa and I were like, hey, we should, you know, do something biblical and godly about our finances. And how many of you ever thought the thought, hey, you know, $500 million megabucks would probably solve a lot of my problems? No? I'm the only one? Okay, well, you guys can all pray for me after service. That would be great. Appreciate that. But let me tell you, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I know we've heard that a thousand times, but as God has taken me through this scripture and uh, really a lot of this journey started for Lisa and I back in October of 2019. I can remember the night that I could not sleep. Have you ever had one of those nights before? You cannot sleep. You're dissatisfied. Your soul is crying out for something different, something more. And I had one of those nights and God just spoke to me in that, in that, in that moment. And you know, one of those things was, God, what are we going to do? What, what are we supposed to be doing with our, with our career, with our finances, building your kingdom and things like that? And through this process, I've brought godly people into my life that are, you know, been successful in business, that have helped Lisa and I out in our business. And, you know, they're, they're further along. They're, they're very successful people. And I'll be, I'll be talking with a specific friend of mine. I'll be kind of sharing some of the challenges I've been facing in my business. And then he you know, his business is a couple orders of magnitude larger than mine. And he'll tell me about the things that he deals with. Okay, this would turn all your hairs white or make you all about as bald as me. Okay, the stuff that he deals with, I'm just like, wow. Okay, so 
Let me tell you, money does not solve your problems. In fact, they just make them bigger. <laughs> All right? Let me disabuse you of the notion that the mega lotto would, uh, would uh, make it all go away. All right. So King Jehoshaphat is terrified. In, like, we're talking about a three-nation army that's coming against the people of Judah. This would be like, uh, as much as I hate them, the San Francisco 49ers coming into town and uh, calling up the local peewee team to play a game of football. All right, that is what we're talking about. There's like just no way. There's no way that Judah could stand in the, in, in the natural, right? No way that they could line up enough guys with enough weapons, with enough skill and enough strength and endurance and all these things to go to war against this three-nation army. By all rights, these people should just waltz through and leave nothing but destruction behind them. He has every reason to be terrified, right? What's the first thing he, do? he does? Well, let's finish that verse three where I kind of interrupted very dramatically. <laughs> Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, by the way, so um, in case you got different words in there, that's where I'm, I'm reading. And I actually really love the words that they chose to translate this, this verse here. He begged the Lord for guidance. There is a desperation in that word, begging God for guidance. God, we are dead meat. All right? We are dead meat. If you do not, tell us what to do. Show us how, where to go. How are you going to deliver us from, from our enemies? And one of the, and actually the very verse that God called me to that October back in 2019, I went downstairs. I was, I was restless. I couldn't sleep. I went downstairs. I opened the Bible, opened up Proverbs, and I'm just like, I have no idea what to do, God. What do I do? So I read the scripture, and I go, okay, thanks. You're good, God. Here it is. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. It says, Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. There's two scriptures, two verses in particular I want to kind of pause on for a minute. That first one is verse three. It says, cry out for insight. I mean, that is exactly what I was doing. If, if a verse wouldn't punch me between the eyes, that was the one right there. I was like, God, I just, I don't know what to do, and I don't even know where to go to find out. And he's like, here I am. Cry out for understanding. Cry out for insight. And that word cry just really connects to that word begging God for guidance. There's a desperation to it. And in that moment, back in October, I, I was desperate. I was crying out to the Lord. I guess in the moment, I wasn't like facing a three-nation army coming to kill me, but there was a desperation in my heart. And, you know, that level of desperation is kind of difficult to maintain at that level at all times. But I think God does call us to say, God, I just want to walk around knowing my need for you, knowing my need for guidance and for insight and for understanding. I want to know you. The other part, the other scripture that I loved was verse four. It says, search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And uh, Lisa and I do a little uh, devotional with our kids in the morning before they head out to school. And when I was going through this, I, I kind of, you know, interrupted our normal plan and, and, and kind of parked on this, this verse for a little bit. And what I told him was, if I told you I had a treasure chest just full of gold and silver and rubies and all kinds of precious 
metals and, and stones, and I buried it in your backyard. All right, I buried it somewhere in my, your backyard, and I did an awesome job. I just resodded the whole thing. You had no idea where in the world I buried this thing. Would you grab a shovel, go out in the backyard, and dig, you know, I don't know, two foot by two foot hole, maybe go down a couple feet and be like, eh, I didn't find it. Shoot, yeah, that's kind of tiring work. I'm going to go inside, have a cold lemonade, kick up my feet, and just relax. No, by the end of the day, it would look like someone bombed your backyard, all right? You'd be like five feet deep all across the entire yard. You'd be going, digging like crazy to find that. And that is King Jehoshaphat. He is digging that soil like crazy, like a desperate man who needs God and needs a breakthrough for his, him and his people. Breakthrough. We sang that song. By the way, one of those threads this morning is we sang that song about breakthrough and God's promises. I was like, oh, so good. The next thing he did is he fasted. So these things kind of go together. So he prayed and he fasted. In uh, verse 3 there, it says, He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. Prayer and fasting. This is, this is really kind of a big one for me. So if you go earlier in, the peop- in, the, in Israel's history here, back in the time of Daniel, if you go to um, Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, you see Daniel has discovered, kind of rediscovered uh, Jeremiah's prophecies. And he's looking at this and he goes, oh, so right now they're under the subjugation, right? Of the Babylonians. And the people of Israel are being oppressed and, and they're enslaved and all of this. And he goes back to the prophecies and finds out this is going to go on for 70 years. And so Daniel in verse 3 says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. He also sprinkled himself with ashes and wore burlap. Um, you don't have to do that part of it. That's okay. You don't, you know, maybe you could ask Josh to cut out some holes in a, in a potato sack for you or something. But thankfully, I don't think we have to do that part. But he prayed and he fasted. And what, what's he doing there when he's praying and he's fasting is he is setting aside time and distractions and just getting alone with God. And this is a big one for me. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to you know, especially when I'm, you know, scrambling to uh, prepare a message last minute that God throws a curveball at me, I, I just got to chuck my phone across the room, you know. I mean, that thing is such an obnoxious distraction. And whether, whether you're fasting food or something that distracts you or crowds in and, and, and kind of uh, crowds out the voice of God in your life, when you're facing these challenges and these, these uh, battles, set aside time, pray, fast, Shut out that, that noise in your life that's, that's crowding out the voice of God. I'm going to have to fly. I'm going to have to go faster here. Um, the third thing he did is that he got, gathered with God's people. So in verse 4 in Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says, So the people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. Do not isolate yourself. You are not supposed to go into these battles by yourself. You're not supposed to go at them alone. And I know probably, especially for us as guys, you know, this can be a tough one. We want to shoulder the burden. We want to kind of just, you know, grind it out. And, oh, man, how does this reflect on me that I'm not getting this done and this sort of thing? We've got to seek godly, godly fellowship. 
uh, just really quickly in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, Let us think on ways to motivate one another to acts, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So they gathered together in fellowship. You could preach all day on that. We're not going to. We've got to keep moving. The fourth thing that he did was he identified who God is. All right, so he's, he's praying, he's fasting, he's got, he's got you know, godly people around him and encouraging him and praying with him. He starts off in this incredible prayer. I love this prayer that he launches into. And the first thing he does is he identifies who God is. In verse six, it says, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Yes, that is awesome. That, what a pep talk, right? Like, God, I know who you are. You are the God of my ancestors. You are the only God in heaven. There is no other gods up there competing for power or rule or reign. You are God and God alone, and no one can stand against you. You can stand strong when you know who your God is. And again, back in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5 there, where it says, as we are seeking knowledge, as we're seeking insight, what do I do, Lord? It says in verse 5 that you will understand what it means to fear the Lord or have awe of God, and you will gain knowledge of God. We need to know God. We have to get to know God. Again, we could probably do a five-week sermon on that, a series on that, but we got to keep moving. So identify who God is. And this goes right part and parcel with that. The fifth thing he does here is he recounts God's victories. This, is a, this has been a big one for me in my life. Whenever I go through difficult times, to look back on the times that God has delivered me in the past. And so he says in verse seven, this is Jehoshaphat speaking. He says, oh God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. When you can look back at the victories that God has won in your life, you can take courage and go, God, you've done it before and you can do it again. And I, I do not, I don't care how, well, I do care, okay. <laughs> but however difficult your life has been and how difficult it might be for you to say, God, where are those victories? If you have received Christ into your heart, if you have been cleansed of your sins and been made right by, through him, that right there is the ultimate victory. There's no greater power in this universe, in a universe full of incredible powers. All right, I'm a big astronomy nerd, astrophysics nerd. There are energies and powers in this universe that we can't even comprehend. But greater than all of that is God's power, Jesus's power to take death and turn it into life. There's no greater miracle. No, parting, you can part the Red Sea all day, you, all, all you want. There's no greater miracle than taking a heart and a soul that is destined for death and rescuing it to eternal life. So if that is you, that means you have a victory that you can celebrate. In fact, we do this frequently, right? With the communion. In Luke, in Luke chapter 22, 
Jesus shares the first communion with his disciples, and at the end, what does he say? He says, do this in remembrance of me. That I hope, I hope that you have other victories in your life, and I hope maybe you write them down or you remember them or you recount them, and any time you face difficulty in this life, um, you, can, you can bring those things up and, and be encouraged and go, God, you've done it before. You will do it again. And how do we know we do it again? Because number six, he declared Jehoshaphat declares God's promises. We know he'll do it again because God promised he would do so. All right? So in verse 9, he's, Jehoshaphat says, They said, Wherever, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple, before your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Um, sometimes, Recalling God's promises feels a little audacious, kind of like, hey, God, you, you remember how you said you'd help us out here? You know? But there's, a lot, there's many times in the Bible where these heroes of the faith audaciously remind God of the promises that he made. He's literally talking to God. It's not like he was talking to his buddy. He's like, hey, well, you know, thank goodness God's got his promises. No, he's like, hey, God, you promised. And it's not that God needs reminding but by doing that, we are partnering with him in that promise being carried out in our lives. So King Jehoshaphat, in his incredible prayer, goes before God, before the, all the people of Judah, and says, God, you promised that you would deliver us. And uh, so in, jo Joshua, in Joshua tw uh, chapter 23, I'd love to expound on this more, but if you're not familiar with Joshua, he was the one that brought the Israelites into the promised land. And as he's about to die, he's speaking to the people of Israel and he says, deep in your hearts, deep in your hearts, you know every promise of the Lord, of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. God does not fail in his promises. The next thing he did is he identifies, so this is number seven, he identifies the enemy. He identified the enemy. You know, having faith and believing God for a promise and a breakthrough and a, and, and a victory in your life does not mean pretending you don't have problems. And I don't know, I feel like when I was younger, there seemed to, there kind of was this, this, this strain of, belief or, or, or Christianity for a little while where it was like, well, if you say it out loud, it's going to come true. And you're like, what? Okay. You know, it's like I'd have a cough and be like, oh man, I think I got a cold coming on. Oh, don't say it. You're just going to give room for the enemy. I'm like, well, I've, I've got a cough. I don't, I don't know what, you know. It, it's okay. You can identify the enemy. You can identify. In fact, let's, let's, see, what, let's see what Jehoshaphat says. Uh, in verse 10, he says, and now now see what the three-nation army is doing. And in verse 12, he says, Oh God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. We are powerless. I mean, that is definitely not name it and claim it Christianity right there. It's like, I am fully admitting that the San Francisco 49ers are going to fold me six ways till Sunday. All right? There's, there's no hope. There's, it's, you know, it's okay. In fact, he's doing a very important thing. He is humbling himself. 
we should be a little bit more concerned if we're like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's take it on. Let's bring it. It's like, no, we need to humble ourselves and recognize who the enemy is, who we are, but also who our God is. And that is, so in, um, excuse me, John chapter 10, sorry, I'm sorry, if you're taking notes, your hand's probably on fire, you're probably getting carpal tunnel, we'll, uh, uh, we'll pray for you afterwards, okay? Um, John chapter 10 is the parable of the good shepherd. And Jesus paints this picture. He says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice. He's talking about himself. We're the sheep, all right? Just if you need, to, need the analogy to be uh, painted for you. They recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And then later in verse 10, it says, the thief, on the other hand, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So just know these challenges that we face in, in life, these are not from God. These are not from Jesus. This is the enemy. The enemy is trying to destroy us. And this is why it is so important for us to understand our position, right? To identify Jesus Earlier when we said we identify God, we know who he is and we know who, who stands for us. Identify ourselves, well, me, I'm the guy that's kind of about to get ran over by a semi-truck. And who Jesus is, he is the one to come and deliver us. The next thing he does here, and uh, we've got to cruise. <laughs> he shuts up and he listens. He shuts up and he listens. Verse 14, this is one I, I got to work on myself. Um, he says, in, or in verse 14, the scripture says, the spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. So this is Jehoshaphat talk, standing before the people of Judah. It was just this random guy. This, his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of a lot of other guys. And he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. So, it's pretty incredible that this guy has kind of this audacity, right, to be moved by the Spirit of God to say, King Jehoshaphat, listen. I mean, how easy would have it been for Jehoshaphat to be saying, like, who's this pipsqueak, you know? Pipe down over there, you know? The, the, the king and the, the priests, we're all, we all got some important things to do. But he's silent and he listens. And this is an incredibly difficult thing to do. I, I read a study a couple years ago, and it literally floored me. And apparently, not everyone has a constant narrator, like narrating everything going on in their life. I was like, that is me. I've got this, I've got this little voice that's just constantly going, will not shut up, no matter, I, you know, you'd have to basically knock me out. And, and I found that it was this day that I realized not everyone, it's kind of a 50-50 split almost, so I, we could probably divide the room up right now. But I was like, what, really? I've got this annoying little thing. It's not annoying. It's me, I guess, but you know. And sometimes it is the hardest thing for me to just sit down and be still and know that he is God, to listen, to listen to that voice. But it's so important, and especially in times of trial and, and, and tribulation, it's even more difficult, right? Because you've got, you've got this chaos going on. So on top of my already, like, you know, million mile a minute, you know, internal voice, I'm now competing against this three-nation army that's coming to kick my door down. And 
Uh, actually, Pastor Dave just a few weeks ago preached on this chapter in Psalm. And in Psalm chapter 40, verse 10, that's where we see that verse, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we can see that and be like, well, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know all the chaos and all the things that are stealing my attention and, and causing anxiety and worry. But the amazing thing about that chapter, if you go through that whole thing, all the verses leading up to the, that line is about the storm, is about the wind, about the waves, about the, the armies of the nations in conflict and war and turmoil. But even in the midst of all that, God has called us to be still and know that he is God, to listen. Okay, I'm going to have to get surgical with this. All right. Uh, the, night, the, the next thing he does is that he was encouraged. He was encouraged. We're going to just go through this quickly. Verse 15 says, he said, this, okay, this is Jehaziel speaking right now. Okay, so this is Jehaziel. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Be of courage. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz and the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go, to, go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. If the king didn't have enough reason to be annoyed with this guy, to say, hey, listen up, King Jehoshaphat, this would be the cherry on top, all right? He's, he's literally saying, okay, march out the peewee team onto that NFL field out there. Let's, we got this. In fact, when you go out there, the, you know, the Niners are all just going to be dead on the field. Some of you might be excited about that. You know, maybe not. That is basically what this guy's saying. So how easy would it have been to be like, yeah, guy, that's not it. No, that's, what are you talking about? But instead, the people of Judah and King Jehoshaphat were encouraged. They allowed themselves to be encouraged. A lot of times when we think about being encouraged, we think about some kind of external thing that comes in and lifts, up, lifts, lifts us up and, and gives us joy or, or, or kind of encourages us. But sometimes there's actually an action involved to be, allow ourselves to be encouraged. How many of you often find it much easier to encourage somebody else than to come for someone to come along and encourage you? Yeah, I think that's a pretty universal thing to come along and say, hey man, you know, God's got this. He's got the victories there. Just press into the Lord and, and encourage that person. But when someone else comes along and, and encourages you, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. It's almost like we wear our suffering like a badge of honor, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, hand me that burlap sack that Josh made for me. I'll, I'll put that thing on, you know. But we need to allow ourselves to be encouraged. We need to open the door for that light and that encouragement to come through. Okay, let's move. And this next one, this is the one I'm going to kind of send us out on a little bit. And this is the one I want to focus on. The next thing he did is he worshiped. And not only did he worship before the battle, he worshiped during the battle, and he worshiped after the battle. In fact, worship characterizes the battle. Let's look at this here. Verse, verse 20, or excuse me, verse 18. 
Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. So this is after Jehaziel told uh, the people of Judah how God would bring victory. King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. When the Levites from the clans of all these clans, uh, they stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, or at that time that would have basically been saying, like, believe in God's word that came through the prophets, and you will succeed. Then in verse 21, it says, After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Praising him for his holy splendor. Okay, behind the scenes time. Janice, during prayer time, brought up in 1 Chronicles, where David called the people to worship God in his holiness. Whoa. There is power when we worship God in his holiness. There is victory when we worship God in his holiness. And it's, gonna, it's just going to get better here, guys. Spoiler alert. Sorry, I just got to back up here a second. After consulting the people, the king appointed the singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And at that very moment, they began to sing and praise. The Lord caused the three-nation army to fall on themselves and kill kill themselves. As they started praising, the the three-nation army started fighting among themselves. Wow. (laughs) Incredible. As they started to praise. So like I said, the people of Judah, they praised, they worshiped before the battle, during the battle, and after the battle. And I would say that every step along the way throughout this this chapter here is is key. Every step that, that Jehoshaphat took Every step that the people of Judah took is, was key to this victory. But worship was the vehicle that God used to bring victory to these people, to win the battle. It was worship. If there's one thing that I can send away with you guys this morning is I hope that worship is never the same again for you. That the next time that you're praising God, the holy, good God, the next time you're lifting your voice up in, in unity with fellow believers, reflect and maybe even ask the question, God, what battles are you fighting for me right now? What, what, what is happening in the heavenly realms right now? What victories are you securing for me and your people? That is powerful. That will transform the way you worship. And I wish I could say I've mastered all of these things. I certainly have not. But the incredible thing is that we work towards that thing, right? That the next time, which could be this, you might be in the middle of a a challenge or a struggle right now. You know, and if you're not, buckle up. It's something's coming. (laughs) I hate to say it. There's no knocking on wood here. It's just, you know. But if we have these tools, if we have these weapons in our arsenal, we can go into battle knowing that the battle is his. 
that at the end of the day, the people of Judah had to show up. So let's, let's close this out. <coughs> Excuse me. So in verse 24, it says, So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. We just spent about 40 minutes <laughs> leading up to this grand, you know, climax, right? You're ready for the, the big battle scene with the, the armies lined up on one side and the other on the other side and the general going, you know, freedom! And then they're going to all come crash down in the middle and there's going to be this big war. But God has won the battle. He already won the battle. He needed his people to go through this process, right? They, they sought him. They sought his face through prayer and fasting. They fellowshiped with one another. They encouraged one another. They cried out to God. They identified, God, you are the God, the one true God. No one can stand against you. They recalled his victories. They reminded him of his promises. <clears throat> they listened. They listened for his voice. And they marched they worshiped while worshiping. And it was their worship that was the vehicle for their victory. So had they not shown up, they would never have gotten that victory. And lastly, had they not shown up, they would not have gotten the blessing. Because at the end of all this, check this out, verse 25, King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry, there was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that, um, that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. So they commemorated. They commemorated the vehicle, uh, the, excuse me, the, the victory. And it is still called the Valley of Blessing to this day. When all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, Overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies, they marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps and lyres and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. They sang. They worshipped. So end to end, they were worshipping. So to go back in closing here, uh, in John chapter 16, when um, Jesus, in verse 33, when Jesus tells his disciples, he said, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Because here on this earth, you will have many trials and tribulations, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So here's the blueprint. This is, like I said, this has become one of my favorite chapters. I encourage you to go and read it and dig into it because you could spend forever studying this. But what an incredible step-by-step -step blueprint for how we dig into God and we see his victory and breakthrough in our life. His, the victory is his, but we have to show up. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. And I hope you're encouraged. And I don't know how we close things out, but I'll just go ahead and pray and, and we'll uh, send you on your way. But dear Jesus, I just thank you so much that you have overcome the world. God, that while we're on this planet, it is still a broken planet. It is still, there's still hurt. There is still things that come up in life that can completely turn our life and our world upside down. And I thank you, God, that you are not surprised by these things, but you're not also fearful of these things. And God, you have already won the victory. God, I just pray that 
from this day forward in our worship, we would just recognize the power that is unleashed when we worship a holy God. That the battle is yours, God, but you've called us to show up, to show up and see the incredible victory in our lives. God, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room right now that is facing a difficult time, that has said to themselves, there's just no way out of this. Yeah, that's a great message. That's a great little story, but you just don't know what I'm going through. God, if, that, if anyone here is here like that right now, I pray that your spirit would just minister to their hearts. And God, that you would surround them with godly people that can speak into their lives and encourage them, God. And God, remind them of the victories that you have won in their life and the promise that you will do it again. God, we just, I just thank you so much for this church family, for this body, for this beacon of light in this community. Lord God, I just pray incredible blessings on it, God, that you would just expand your territory in this ministry, in this, in this town. We just love you this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone. It's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue him.